0: Well, good morning, everyone. Special greeting to those of you joining us online this morning. Thank you for being with us. I trust that you'll get, wherever you are, have your Bibles open and go along with us as we study our passage this morning. First, let me talk just briefly. It was announced already, but what's going to happen next Sunday at at 2 o'clock at Riverbend Park? And we have reserved a pavilion that we're going to gather at. So uh, you'll you'll see it. It's right there, the one closest to the beach. And we're going to gather there. We're going to bring our desserts. We'll have the desserts there. We're going to have a time of singing a few songs. We're going to hear testimonies. We're going to talk about baptism. And then we're going to march down to the river. And we're going to baptize four people. If they all show up. I'm just kidding. No, they're supposed to be. I told them the river is going to be cold, so count the cost. You know, that's part of it. But afterwards, then, we'll continue to have a dessert fellowship and just enjoy the outdoors being together. And we thought, what a great way to celebrate uh, baptism, doing it outside, doing it a little different way, and promoting fellowship. So 2 o'clock next Sunday, prepare a dessert, your favorite dessert, bring it to share. We'll have this time of fellowship uh, there down by the riverside. Am I supposed to be seeing the live stream on the screen back here? Okay, thank you. All right, I'm not used to watching myself on a screen, so it's going to throw me off the whole time. Well, as we begin this morning, I begin with a story from the poet Henry David Thoreau. He's quoted as saying that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. He proved to be an expert observer of the human condition. The word desperate means to lose all hope or to have a dire situation or to go to extreme action to meet a need. And it's not difficult to see that this describes the condition and situation that many people face today. In recent years, both from the pandemic, but also from the pervasive nature of the internet. Loneliness and antisocial behavior has been on the increase. It's only in recent years that the term deaths of despair has creeped into our vocabulary as drug abuse or sexual addictions or other forms of self-harm seem to be on the rise. Entire ministries and social services have been raised up simply to try to help people to get clean or to get pure or whole again in their physical and emotional lives. The rising impact of terrible diseases like cancer, Alzheimer's, or Lou Lou Gehrig's disease has driven an increased desperation to find their cures. And yet at the same time, medical costs are skyrocketing. Insurance options seem to be diminishing. Families are forced to make challenging decisions. Economic hardships seem all around us as we all experience the current difficulties of inflation hurting family budgets. Supply lines have caused some things to be short and struggle to find in the stores, even basic needs for our children. Young people today face the stark reality that they may be the first generation to not have more prosperity than their parents. Their rise in family dysfunction has created chasms of disconnection between members of families, between generations, and we see the struggles all around us and hear the painful cries of many at the end of their lives who are desperate to make amends and reconcile with friends and loved ones before it is too late. Indeed, people are living desperate lives. But in the midst of all this trauma, the the numbers of those who claim at the same time to be nuns, N-O-N-E-S, Having no faith or having no faith in God has gone up, even as if there's been a greater increase in anxiety and in fear, paranoia, other forms of mental illnesses. As young people struggle to find the purpose and meaning in life, they're told that they're merely products of chance or accidents of aimless evolution. Why see life as valuable, they think, whether mine or someone else's, when I'm simply an evolved ape with no purpose or meaning in life. As Thoreau said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And there's a need for us to have a word of hope. And indeed, there is one who can speak a word of calm and peace into our mists. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's not immune from our suffering, nor is he unaware of what is happening to us. He is ready to respond if we go to him with our needs and requests and acts of desperation. And the passage that we will look at today... Our Savior will show us that he is tender, loving, compassionate, ready to receive all who come to him for deliverance, for change, for overcoming heartbreaking circumstances. As we study God's holy word this morning, may his, the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ be a balm to your soul and an encouragement to your heart. This morning, we're going to read and study from Matthew 9, verses 18 to 26. So I invite you to stand as we read God's holy word, and then as we pray for him to speak to us through it. And the lovely word of God says, while he, Jesus, was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Let us pray. Father, as we read your word this morning, we are painfully aware that in our weakness we need your strength. So would you guide us now? We're prone and tempted to be distracted by all kinds of things in our hearts and our minds, burdens that we carry. Father, we discharge them at your feet now. And we thank you that you can help us with them. Father, speak to us now through your word as your Holy Spirit gives guidance that Jesus Christ might be exalted. For it's in his name that we pray, amen. Please be seated. And I hope you follow along in your sermon outline as we get into the text this morning. But I want us to begin by reflecting on the fact that Jesus had a very busy life. He moved around from place to place and crowds would hang on his every word. And so would his enemies, evaluating everything that came out of his mouth. And no one ever had more to accomplish in the history of the world. The redemption of sinners for the glory of God, the fulfillment of God's plan. And yet even though no one ever had more to accomplish, we never seem to find Jesus in a rush or in a hurry. Those who came to him, he received. He came to be the the Savior and the Redeemer, and yet he was not too busy to deal with each one who came to him. He trusted in the providence of God and his guiding hand that the father would lead him and he moved at the father's rhythm under the spirit's guidance in everything that he did and said. I find that very reassuring in a rush, rush, get things done now world that Jesus was never in a hurry and Jesus is always ready to receive me when I go to him. He came to redeem a people for the glory of the Father, to restore all that was lost in Adam, to accomplish the plan of salvation for sinners to overcome their rebellion and sin and death, to restore righteousness, to deal with wickedness, at least in part when he first came, but oh, will he deal with it in full when he comes a second time. Truly, nobody had more to do in so little time, in just a mere 30-plus years, and yet the Lord seemed to always have time for the lonely the sick, the outcast, and the forsaken. You know, in recent years, it's been a common thing in marketing techniques to learn about time management. But I think we can learn a lot from Jesus, who is the author of time. How did he use time in his own life, though he had much more to accomplish than I need to or that you need to? How did he move in rhythm with the Father to get the Father's will done in his life? I think we can learn from him about reevaluating what our true priorities should be and so as we begin to look at this passage this morning we begin with a desperate father a desperate father while he was saying these things to them the text says behold a ruler came in and knelt before him now in the passages just before this jesus has been calling on sinners he said i came to call sinners and as we remind ourselves last week who else could he call He didn't come to call the righteous, he came to call sinners. He came to call tax collectors to himself. He talked about the nature of feasting and fasting. And Matthew heard his call and has begun to follow him in his journey of following the Savior, of what it's like to live a life with the Lord. We saw they even had a great party celebrating that the mercy of God has touched the lives of these untouchables. And they go and gather their friends and say, come and meet the one who can save people even like us and he reminded that we can't take the new ways of the gospel and force them into the old ways of the law keeping of the pharisees so he's teaching on all these things and our text says while he does a ruler approaches him and at that point we should have our attention drawn to the text because it was the rulers who saw jesus often as a threat even as a heretic as one they needed to avoid that they needed to deal with so this is an unusual event indeed The same rulers who would oppose him, and yet one of them comes to Jesus in a great time of need. Now, as we compare the account that we have in Matthew with the accounts that we see in Mark and Luke, we see that the man's name is Jairus. He's a leader in the local synagogue. Now, a leader in a synagogue should not be confused with the rabbi. The ruler would be the one who kind of took care of the property and would kind of help plan the services, but he was not the main teacher in the synagogue. The synagogue you recall was the center of great importance for first century Jewish life it was the center of civil and religious activity they didn't have the concept that we're forced to have today of separation of church and state they saw God in all of life for all of people and all of men participated in all the different activities of society so this ruler comes to him and he kneels before him and there's there's a debate going on what is he doing here Because the word that is translated in the the English Standard Version as knelt is translated in other places as worshipped. So is he coming as a believer? Is he coming to worship? Or is he coming to show a sign of respect and honor? We'll have to tease the text out a little bit and compare it with some of the other accounts. But for sure, he's coming and showing honor and respect to Jesus. He understands that Jesus can do something for him. He's capable. He's able. And so we can learn from that example. What need are you facing? And you can bow before Jesus and bring it to him. And so a ruler came to him and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Luke tells us that this was Jairus' only child, a daughter who was 12 years old. Now, Matthew truncates a lot of the details here. We, we realize that this has been going on for a little bit of time, but Matthew, as he typically does, wants to get to the main and plain thing. This is a bad situation that will require a miracle. It will require a raising of the dead, Jesus showing his authority over death. And he wants that to be the emphasis as he tells the story this morning. But I want us to put our focus, or at least right now, put ourselves in the place of this man, Jairus. Imagine the heartache and the agony that he's experiencing. This is his only child. Perhaps they wanted to have other children but couldn't. This is their only child. She's 12 years old. Her life is coming to an end at a tender age. All of the dreams and aspirations, hopes bound up in her will also die with her. This man is in agony. He is desperate to see God do something. And he's heard of Jesus. Jesus. We've already seen glimpses in the Gospel of Matthew that news of what Jesus is doing begins to spread. And in that day, that was how news got about, was a neighbor told a neighbor who told a neighbor as they're drawing water at the well, as they're picking up fruits and vegetables in the open market. This was how news was spread. So perhaps this is how he's heard of Jesus. Perhaps he'd even seen him in the synagogue. After all, if he's taking care of the property, maybe he saw Jesus come. But in any case, he's in a moment of great, desperation and he comes to jesus for to ask for help we know don't we that sometimes the circumstances of life can overwhelm us can push us to the point of hopelessness and it is then at those times that we need to go to jesus and there is one to whom we can go because he's always ready to receive us you know there's a commonly believed lie out there It goes something like this. God will never give you more than you can handle. It's a misuse of a passage in 1 Corinthians. The fact remains God will always give you more than you can handle because he wants to teach you that you depend upon him, that he is your life, he is your sustenance, he is your strength. And this man gives an example. He's overwhelmed. He can't handle this situation. And he goes to Jesus with his need. And I'm struck by his faith. He says, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. He knows what Jesus can do. He comes and asks him to do it. Laying on of hands, of course, in the Old Testament and in the New was a sign of healing power being transmitted. So Jesus came to, Jairus came to Jesus, showed him respect, maybe even worshipped him, trusted him, And then when Jesus deals with the situation, we can assume that he was also going to pour out his praises. So far, so good. But think about what he's asking Jesus to do. You see, the law did not allow someone to touch a dead body or someone that was unclean. So is he so overwhelmed by grief? that he's asking to do something that he can't do without really thinking about it? Or does he have a greater insight into who Jesus really is? Perhaps we need to go through the rest of the text to get an answer to that question. And we can't imagine, we we would like to imagine what the dialogue is, but Matthew, again, gets right to the point and says, and Jesus rose and followed him. We get the idea that with his crowd, they just got up and they went. We look in the the accounts of Mark and Luke and tells them that the disciples went with him, that the large crowd went with him. I, I, I like the fact that Matthew points out just enough for us to know to keep the story going, but doesn't give us all the details. Sometimes he shows that Jesus can stay where he is, give a word, someone is healed miles away. But here, Jesus doesn't give a word from miles away, but goes with him. I like how God demonstrates to us that he will deal with us according to our individual situations. We can ask him for anything. What we can't do is tell him how he must do it and in what order and according to what methods. If he decides to act, he will do it in his way that will bring him the most glory for him and the most good for his people. So the disciples go with him. It seems that they must have left quickly. Matthew doesn't give us any more details. They rise and they go. So we have this man who is desperate. And he says, come and lay hands on my daughter. And the disciples rise with Jesus. The crowd, Mark tells us, goes with Jesus. It's like they're in anticipation. What's the next thing in the story? And then there's a seeming interruption to the story because we go from a desperate father to a distressed woman. And behold, the text says, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him. So while they're on their way to heal, this young Israelite girl, an older woman approaches who has been ill for 12 years. Coincidentally, the same amount of time that this little girl has lived. Now the young girl we are told in the story, and we know that will happen in the accounts of Mark and Luke, does die. She experiences a physical death. And of course that is a great tragedy but this older woman is experiencing multiple numbers of death as it were because of her abnormal blood flow probably related to her bodily functions as a woman she would be kept out of the synagogue she would be kept out of religious practice she would be seen as unclean she used up all of her resources to try to get well we were told so she she's poor economically she's poor spiritually she's poor relationally she's disqualified from being involved in public life and so there's these little deaths that she has to die socially economically religiously and there's one more thing that we're not told but we can at least look into and figure out culturally what would be the impact if she was a single woman In this context, she would have no hope of getting married because she would be seen as unclean. But if she was married, according to the law, she could not be involved in normal marital relationships with her husband because she was unclean. And so this physical condition that she is suffering with is leading to a multiple of deaths of sorts in her normal interactions and relations in her life. And so imagine for 12 years being cut off with no signs of getting better. With each doctor visit, you hope for the best, only to see that the amount in your purse goes down. What kind of things might you be tempted to do? These many deaths that she's experiencing that are cultural and religious and social and economic, she's a desperate woman to have her situation turned around. And this desperation pushes her to go to the one who in fact can turn the situation around. Friends, you may think you're in a desperate situation this morning and you're facing things that you cannot overcome. And the fact is you cannot, but there is one who can. And it is good for us to be in a place where we are desperate so that we just cut to the chase and say, Jesus, help me. We're told in the text that she came up behind him and reached the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. The social dynamics are such that she certainly couldn't come from the front of the crowd. She couldn't approach Jesus face to face. And perhaps her actions betray a bit of superstitious thinking that was common in those days. For it was thought that those that were healers or holy men had power that flowed through them and you could receive that power if you touched their skin or their hair or even some saliva. There are places in the world today where a holy man will put saliva on his followers and this is seen as a blessing and a source of healing. We experienced some of this superstitious activity when we were in West Africa where people would try to steal pieces of my wife's hair or of our children's hair or something where they they could use to go and make amulets or, or special charms or lucky charms or whatever you want to call it for blessings or for curses. There's this belief that spiritual power can be transferred through the clothing of a person or part of a person. We even see images of that in the book of Acts. That's what we see going on here in Matthew 9. If I could just touch the fringe of his garment, the fringe would be... The hem, it probably also refers to the tassels that Jewish men would wear on the corner of their robes. We have instructions for this in Numbers 15. The tassels would serve as a reminder to keep the laws of God and to be holy before him. So this woman, we can imagine this crowd. Jesus is in the middle of this crowd, and he's got Jairus, and he's got the disciples around him, and he's got the crowds, and they're moving, and this woman is approaching, and she's coming up behind Jesus. She doesn't want his full attention. She maybe doesn't want any attention. For her, it was enough to just get close to Jesus. We can imagine her crawling on the ground. If I could just reach through the crowd and touch the fringe of the hem of his garment, that would transfer the power of healing that I would need. She was unclean. She couldn't touch him physically. She didn't want to transfer her uncleanliness to him if I could just touch the edge of the garment again this is something that the law did not allow it did not allow you to touch an unclean person or a dead person we have instructions for that in Leviticus 15 contact with an unclean person made you unclean but the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he continually reverses the natural order of things as we have seen all throughout it is not her uncleanliness that is communicated to Jesus. It is his cleansing power that is communicated to her. But consider her actions. If I can just touch the fringe of his garment, I will be made well. Do you hear her cry of desperation, but her cry of faith and her cry and belief that? Jesus just touching the fringe of the hem of the garment, just touching the tassel will be enough to make her whole. That shows us there's abundant power and mercy and hope in Jesus. And if just touching the fringe of his garment is enough to transform a life, my friends, why don't we go to him fully and plainly with all of the needs of our lives? Where there is abundant provision and power made available to us by faith. And so we have this father of this girl and this woman who recognized that just a touch from Jesus is enough to transform their situations and transform their lives. Do you believe that this morning, that just a touch of the Savior's hand, just a touch of his power is enough to change your situation? Are you desperate enough in your life that you're willing to go to Christ and just reach out? and say, Father, just touch me. I need to touch you. Well, after we have this distressed woman, we now have a delivered woman. She had faith that Jesus could heal her. Being in the large crowd, she doesn't want to draw attention to herself. After years of being sick and isolated, she's afraid of being recognized. What would happen to her if she was recognized? There would immediately be shouts of unclean, unclean, and a chorus of condemnation would come down upon her. That's not what she wants. She just wants to be made whole again. So she comes from the back of the crowd. She tries to sneak up, but she can just touch the fringe, the tassel. She's desperate this might be her last chance to get healed and nothing will keep her from getting to Jesus you know friends I know that our culture teaches us that we're to be man-made men self-made men pick yourself up by your bootstraps do things your own way be your own power be your own success how's that working for you Well, you run up against the reality of life that it doesn't work. But it does work when we go to the Savior. And he came for that. He came to save his people from their sins and from their effects. He came to have fellowship with us, to walk us through the desperate situations of this life. Nothing would keep her from Jesus. Do you have things that will keep you from going to Jesus? You're afraid of what your mom might think, what your boss might say what will the neighbors think if I become too Jesus conscious in my life? We need to be desperate enough that we're willing to just go to Jesus all the time and we'll find that he is more than able to meet our needs. In my own life, I've found that when I'm the most desperate, that's when Jesus shines the most gloriously because there's nothing of me and it's all of him and ultimately that's what we want. So here's the question. Are you as was eager to be touched and saved by Jesus as is this woman who just desperately had to get to Jesus? And the text goes on, and Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Look at the action verbs here. Jesus turns and sees her. According to Mark and Luke, Jesus knows that divine power has, has gone through him and he wants to know to whom this power has gone. And finally she comes forward and she identifies herself and she hears a blessing from the Lord. Notice Jesus' kindness towards her. He was on his way. Remember, he was on his way to minister to this sick and dying 12-year-old girl in another place, in another situation, but he was not too busy to stop and minister to this needy woman who had come up behind him. Jesus sees her face. And he doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't scorn her for her timidity. He says, take heart, daughter. Does that sound familiar to you? It's similar words that Jesus used a few chapters earlier for the man who was on the mat as his friends lowered him through the roof. He said, be of good courage, my son. Jesus deals tenderly with those who come to him in faith. This woman has been through a lot. It's probably pretty easy to imagine the harsh words that she has heard over the years, the attitudes and displays of rejection and insulting behavior she has experienced. And here she comes and touches the hem of the garment of Jesus who shows her dignity and value and love and worth. If this morning, my friends, you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, You know that your future is secure. You know that you will be in his presence forever. Here's your promise. The world may look busy. The world may be rushed. The world may be full of activities. But you are never lost in a crowd with Jesus. He knows all about the details of your life. Every bit. Everything you're going for, going through. He knows the stuff in your life. And his love for you is particular it is personal, it is eternal, it is unending, and he says, come. So, go to him with your struggles. Never have a doubt that he's ready to receive you. So, Jesus calls this woman forward, who, who touched me, and she comes forward and identifies. This is not the chastiser. Look what Jesus is doing. By drawing public attention to her healing... He is giving notice to everyone that knows her that she is now healed and can be restored to fellowship in her life. Her stigma has been lifted and he is making it clear, look, she is healed, she is recovered Just restore her to fellowship. Jesus lifts us up out of the stigma of our sin and the separation that it brings. And he says to her, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now does that mean that Faith itself has inherent power. We see prosperity preachers today that speak as if faith is somehow this force that they can use to change their reality. That is false. That is deadly. And if you follow it, you'll be in hell. Our culture talks a lot about faith. Oh, you got to believe. You got to have faith. Faith. Or, it doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere in your belief. But there are two things that we need to understand when Jesus says, "Your faith has made you well. First, think of the context. It is your faith that has made you well, not your superstitious beliefs. There's no mystical power inherent in my garments or in the hem of my garment that will make you well. It's faith in Jesus. It is the object of faith that saves, not just the fact of faith. You can have faith in a religious leader, faith in a guru, a faith healer, but there's only one type of faith that will save, and that's faith in Christ alone. Because it's the object of our faith. It's not how much faith I can muster up. It's not how much I can twist and turn my emotions and my thinking and my convictions. It's Jesus is able. And it's faith in him That is able to transform our situation so what was the outcome of her faith in jesus and instantly the woman was made well the text literally says from that hour it's a poetic way of saying that from that moment her life was transformed it was changed the greek word here is sozo which is often used for salvation so there's more here than meets the eye she's been restored Physically and spiritually, she can go back into fellowship with God's people. She can enter the synagogue. She can have a normal family life again. Jesus brings healing and health to her body and her soul. He has come to save his people from their sins and the effects of those sins. Because here's what sin always does, my friends sin always isolates, sin always separates. Think of a conflict that you have. There's sin. What do you do? You move away from each other. And there's people that even when they're in their time of sin, they separate from each other, and they separate sometimes from other believers. And yet it is the church that has the solution in Jesus Christ for all sin and all separation and all divisions that sin brings about. Sin pushes us away from each other, separates us, isolates us, forcing us to see each other as... Unclean, unworthy, as other than, as somehow our enemy, forgiveness does the exact opposite. It heals and brings people together, resulting in unity. That's why we come around the table. Because we know who we were as sinners, and we know who He is as the Savior. And we come and say, Wow, look what you have done. The people that you have redeemed for your glory, we're coming to confess that is true and say, Thank you. Sin brings death. Jesus Christ brings life. And in this case, a distressed woman is delivered because of the power of Christ. And then, lastly, we see a delighted family. We see that one miracle, as it were, has been tucked inside of another, t- two miracles have been sandwiched t- together. So actually, in this section here, we have four miracles. You recall that when we got to the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, we said there will be three sections, three cycles of miracles that are coming up. Three of them were in chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Three of them were in chapter 8, 23, all the way to chapter 9, verse 8. And now we actually have four here tucked into this next section. We're looking at two today. We'll see the next two next week. But these miracles were given to show the power of Jesus. And the delight that we can have in following him who is worthy of our trust our faith and our hope but the text says and when jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion i'm going to stop there jesus has continued on now with the crowd take heart my daughter your faith has healed you and they continue on The healing is done. She's going to go back to her restored life. Now they're continuing on because there's one more situation that has to be dealt with. They continue on with the crowds. And as they get closer, it's Mark and Luke that tell us that now is when a man comes from Jairus' family and says, wait, the the daughter has died. Don't, Don't bother Jesus any further. And Jesus hears their request and says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. You see, Jesus knows something that they don't know. He knows that Death will not have the final word in this girl's life. He will. And that's our hope as Christians. Oh, it will arrive to all of us who happen to be living until Jesus Christ returns that our physical bodies will be placed in the ground one day. But that will not be the final word for us. That word is spoken by Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And the one through whom all life was created. So Jesus comes to this home, and he sees the commotion that's going on. And for us, these are strange scenes. But in those days, it was expected that they would hire... Oop, lost contact with my clicker here. It was expected and required that they would hire professional mourners for a funeral. This would assure that there was weeping at every death. Women would be hired to come, and all they would do is just wail and whine and carry on and mourn. That was their job. Others would come to play music and play it in a slow manner so that there would be a depressing theme that was going on. The more you mourned, it was thought, the more that the person was loved. I don't know about you, but that's not on my bucket list to become a professional mourner. The Jewish commentary called the Mishnah Even said, even commanded that each Jewish family was to have a minimum of two flute players and one wailing woman at each funeral. That was the minimum. That was for a a poor family. Here we have a ruler of a synagogue. So there might have been many more. The scene would have been chaotic, it would have been noisy, it would have been very busy. Imagine the flute players playing this, the sad songs, the women that are wailing. They had to do this quickly because they would bury people who died within 24 hours. They didn't practice embalming or any other practices. So funerals had to take place quickly. And then we get to the text, and it says, And when Jesus saw the commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Jesus, the Lord of life, the Savior of sinners, he's not interested in this display of showmanship. He could have healed the girl from a distance with a word, but he didn't. But here he sends the mourners away. Now they're not eager to go because they're earning a paycheck here. But he wants them to go. And, and they laugh at him when they say, Well, she's not dead. She's only sleeping because after all, they're kind of good at this. And they've got a pretty good idea that she's dead so they're mocking him now there are times in the scriptures that physical death does refer to sleeping but with jesus death is never ultimate because he's the conqueror of death he knows what he's going to do and notice where with the healing of the woman with the issues of blood it was a very public manner here he wants to do it privately he wants to just involve the family I love how God acts in a way that's appropriate in each situation so that he gets the glory. He chooses how to act. Not everything has to be public. Not everything has to be private. He will do it according to each situation. But they laugh at him. Have we ever been guilty of laughing at God when he's given some promises? It happens in the scriptures. Think of Sarah. An old woman... The angel said, you're going to give birth to a son, and she laughed, and then she was rebuked for it. She said, no, I didn't laugh. Oh, but you did. Thankfully, God was merciful to her, but she laughed. She didn't see how God could intervene in that situation, and that's what the people see here. Thankfully, God is not deterred, and Jesus is not deterred, so he sends the crowds away, and we're told that he really only allows Peter and John plus the parents to come inside. We combine the the accounts in Mark, Luke, with Matthew. And the text says, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Immediately, Luke tells us, and her spirit returned. Wouldn't you have loved to have been an eyewitness to that scene? Grieving parents wailing over their 12-year-old daughter. For... A whole summer I had the privilege of showing the Jesus film in East Africa in the country of Kenya. We showed it in, in Swahili. And we would show it in the open air every day throughout that summer. And I still remember the words from this scene in the Jesus film. As Jesus goes in and he, he approaches the daughter and he approaches the parents there and he says, Toto, Amka, child arise. And the child arises. What surprise. What amazement. Jesus is showing his prophetic power here. There were times in the Old Testament where prophets were used of God to raise people from the dead. This was to confirm their important prophetic ministry. Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, this was an amazing miracle. The parents received back their 12-year-old daughter, but this was not her final resurrection. She would die again one day. But imagine the confidence that she would have that she could follow the Lord who has the power over death. We don't know anything more than that. One day maybe we'll see the fuller picture as we gather around the throne of heaven. But this is a reminder because Jesus is the resurrection and the life of what we believe. At our death, our spirit is separated from our body. And our spirit, Paul says, absent from the body is present with the Lord. And our spirit goes and is with the Lord in bliss and happiness and contentment and peace. But our body is placed in the ground. And we await that great day of the resurrection when Jesus calls us out of the grave. And our bodies raise out of the grave and they're glorified and they're joined back together with our perfected spirits and so we will be fully saved, body and soul, and be with the Lord forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. That is our hope. We believe in the resurrection of the body. God created the body, physical body. He created the spiritual body. They were affected by sin in Adam, but in Christ they'll be fully restored. And I don't know about you, but I'll be ready. To have a glorified body and to be able to worship God forever in an unhindered manner. Don't we look forward to that day? He raises the girl from the dead. We can only imagine that there was a celebration that went on. And the report of this went through all that district. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus is growing in popularity. And as he grows in popularity, so does the opposition. And these things are going to eventually come to a big clash as we move through this gospel. These two stories, the faith of, the, of Jairus and the faith of this distressed woman, are living examples of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Who, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This desperate father, this distressed woman, go to Jesus believing that he can do the impossible. And so he touches the girl, she's made alive. The, the sick woman touches him, he's not made unclean, she is made clean. He brings life and healing. Two miracles, two people. At opposite ends of life, and Jesus is able to overcome even some of the most difficult experiences in human existence. Parental pain over a child and chronic illness. And both are dealt with by our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the healer and the restorer of life and health. We have a great message, my friends, that we can go out and share with those around us. In this time when men are living lives of quiet desperation, we in Christ Jesus have the message that offers hope for the helpless, healing for the desperate, and life for the dying. Will you go to him with your needs, and will you bring a friend along as well? Next week, we're going to look at next two next two miracles that jesus performs that show that he is the messiah and we're going to do a little digging in the old testament to show what to look for of what the messiah would look like but until then what are some lessons we can take away from today's message because jesus receives those who come to him we will go to him with our needs i know you hear this often but you know what if you're like me you need reminding because jesus receives those who come to him we will go to him with our needs Secondly, because Jesus cares for our loved ones, we will bring their needs to him as well. And I know many of us carry burdens for loved ones. Jesus cares, so let's go to him. Thirdly, because Jesus forgives and restores from sin, we will not run away when we sin. We will run toward Jesus. When you're sick, go to the doctor, and he's the good doctor. Fourthly, because he is the Lord of life, we will not fear death but rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. Our future is secure and sure in Christ. and So we can face come what may with courage and strength because we're in good hands. And when we see Jesus, what we see Jesus do, we will go and share with others. We should be the people, the first to share what we have seen Christ do in our lives and what we have heard so that it would be said, as we have walked with Jesus, and the report of this went through all that district, let's let Oroville know what Jesus is doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that you're in control, and with you there is hope. And so draw us, call us, bid us come, and when we come, we thank you that you receive us. And Father, I know right now that many of us are carrying burdens for loved ones, and we freely and with desperation offer them into your hands and say, Lord, would you go to work now? And we are praying for you to do great works that only you can do. And then by faith, Father, now we say thank you for what you will do. But when you do it, will you remind us to return and thank you once again? Father, would you go before us this week and lead us that we might honor you, that we might declare you, and that we might let people around us know who Jesus is and what he has done. And may his glory increase evermore in our lives as we pray in Jesus' name.